Sometimes, when a pastor discovers a new idea, it can feel like trying to get your mind around rocket science. Hello, this is Todd Linton with Paviological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. You can find us on ToddLittleton.net or Pathological.com or Pathological.net. And today on the podcast, rather than interview, I want to talk about some resources. Really, I want to talk about the way Fleming Rutledge made me chippy yesterday morning. And in the course of uh, reading her new book, I it dawned on me that what sometimes is frightening to we pastors who uh, are, venture out beyond the uh, scope of the literature material that we've been uh, trained uh, under, that is whatever thread of the Christian tradition has been most influential on us, we can come across an idea that can feel an awful lot like rocket science. Or, to borrow a, 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 a thought from my mentor, who we've had on the podcast, Rick Davis, he used to tell me when we were having conversations about human relationships, he would say it this way, you explain nuclear fission and I'll explain people. Virtually what he was saying was the two are comparable, complex subjects. And that's what I want to talk about. But before I do, I'd like to let you know that uh, a friend and I, Marty Duran, over at the Fourth Estate podcast, have uh, uh, and uh, uh, David uh, Phillips over at In Novo podcast, have uh, put together a podcast network called Roundtable Media Group. I've been negligent to uh, pitch Roundtable Media Group in my haste to get uh, recent podcasts uh, out and loaded up and out there for your earbuds. And I uh, want you to know about it. You can find us at roundtablemediagroup.com. It is uh, really something sort of like a uh, uh, pathos for uh, podcasts. So we hope to open up a lot of different resources, uh, subject matters covered, uh, that sort of thing. And if you're interested in being an affiliate podcast, or if you've thought about starting a podcast and you want some help, uh, give uh, contact us. You can email me at todd at roundtablemediagroup.com, and we'll help you get started. Uh, one of our uh, first uh, show podcasts is Ryan and Phillips' Conversation Rules, and they talk about uh, a variety of subjects. One of the most recent ones is on uh, refugees and genocide, and you can find it there at roundtablemediagroup.com. And at the top of the menu bar, click on Shows, and you'll find their podcast there. Also, just want to remind you that uh, we have a couple of uh, sponsors, and really what that means is is we've got some uh, folks that I really like to tout. They've agreed to provide some discounts on their products. Uh, I don't get any uh, in return uh, unless you happen to go over to listenlstnsound.com and you use one of the links that I have, and I, I might get a, a little bit of a discount on a future order. But really, I really love these headphones. Uh, they're made of wood. They have a, a project uh, associated with their product, and that is they're enabling people who can't hear in a number of countries around the world to hear. So they are working with a foundation that uh, brings uh, 
new opportunities for audiological abilities for those who currently don't have any. I believe right now there are more than 20,000 people have been helped. So any purchase of a set of headphones goes to help uh, those who uh, <clears throat> they reach out to to provide the opportunity to hear. And then uh, our oldest daughter, Kimberly, uh, at OikosHandmade.com. She has a great story behind uh, her little uh, small uh, business, uh, handmade crocheted items. Does take special orders. Does have a, a website at OikosHandmade.com. And you can take a look there. We're going to revamp that website over the uh, summer. But uh, you can check her out there, a link to her big cartel shop. And in both of those instances, both at LSTNSound.com, if you enter the code Pathological, that's right, for the podcast, Pathological, you'll receive a discount. Same uh, case with OikosHandmade.com. You make your way to the checkout and you enter, you enter Pathological at the checkout at OikosHandmade.com and you'll get a discount. So check them out. Support those who um, we support. And uh, um, if you'd like to help support the podcast, then uh, we're working on a way you can do that uh, in, in the future. Um, and let me just say thank you for listening. Now, but now back to really the, the content, back to the subject. You know, um, I really want to blame Jason Michelli over at thetamecynic.org. Um, he is a a pastor friend that I've, I've come to know really online, uh, interviewed him. You can also find that podcast in the catalog. And he is currently uh, a survivor of what he calls stage serious cancer. He's working on a book on that subject uh, from a bit of a humorous angle, so it should be very good. He writes very well. And um, I hope to have him on when that book drops and we'll interview him about the book. But uh, along the way, he sometimes offers a guest uh, post over at uh, Scott McKnight's blog, Jesus Creed, that's on Patheos. And he's been uh, posting a few pieces, thoughtful pieces, on the crucifixion, understanding the death of Jesus Christ by Fleming Rutledge. And the reason I blame Jason is I'd never heard of Fleming Rutledge. Uh, don't, we, don't, we haven't crossed paths in terms of tradition. Uh, she is a, a pastor in the uh, Anglican tradition, the Episcopal tradition. She's an Episcopal priest. She's been recognized in North America and UK as a preacher and lecturer and teacher of other preachers. Uh, widely published, and her book is a culmination of a lifelong pastoring. And you could say that she is really giving us a flair and a flavor for uh, what it is to be a pastor theologian. I'm, I'm, oh, maybe first chapter working toward the second chapter in after the introduction, and I'm finding it really uh, a really good read. And uh, one of the things that, that came to mind, made me a little chippy yesterday, was when I came across a number of people that she was quoting. So she uh, quoted a Japanese-American theologian. She uh, quoted Jürgen Moltmann. She quoted a, a number of sources that that general, at least in my experience, in the uh, you know uh, rightward wing of the Christian tree, uh, and as part of a particular Christian tradition, if you will, uh, never really was opened up to, uh, and and so uh, what sometimes happens is 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 you come across someone with a, a little bit different idea, a different way to see things, a different way to look at Scripture and the Christian experience and the Christian life. 
And sometimes it can really, really feel like you're trying to understand complex algebra, rocket science. It shouldn't be that hard. And really, it isn't. What, what happens, I believe, is we get accustomed to a particular uh, idea set. That is, we have a particular uh, framework uh, upon which we have decided to uh, cobble our, the edifice of our faith, that is, our understanding, our, our, uh, our own confessional statement, if you will. And we generally read to support that particular vision, that, those particular decisions that we've made about different subjects. And then someday, one day, we face a particular instance wherein that particular or a particular piece of that uh, structure uh, gets called into question. It's much like reading uh, Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy for the first time and wading through that very opening section. In fact, uh, Willard had and has an analogy or an illustration uh, of the way that, that uh, sometimes we have practiced the, credi- uh, the Christian faith, and uh, we, all the while not realizing it, have been flying upside down. And if you have any familiarity with Willard and what he's positing, um, it it can really, when you've been steeped in a, an idea, as he describes it, of a gospel of sin management, uh, it really is a revolutionary uh, to you. Uh, it does startle kind of the way you think about things. It opens up different possibilities. And of course, as, <clears throat> as the old um, image goes, as one domino falls, it generally impact something else because our faith is <clears throat> is uh, interrelated. In other words, uh, these uh, notions we have, uh, statements of faith or um, articles, if you will, in our confession, don't stand alone. They are interrelated. One impacts the other. And so when you begin to think rethink one, it forces you to rethink the implications in another. And some prefer not to do that. They don't prefer to uh, wrestle with those things. They they, they really prefer things being settled, and uh, we've cobbled together our universal theory of all things, and we just take some of those um, moments of uh, intellectual crisis or a crisis of faith, and we chalk it up to the big category mystery, and then we move on, hoping never to be uh, challenged by that or, or required to think about that again. Some of us uh, who I think fit what uh, Fitch called uh, in the last interview organic theologians or pastor theologians, as he and I talked about, uh, uh, really uh, are, are working to take into account things that we learn, things that we know, that we are not uh, at a place as human beings where we arrive at a full-orbed understanding of all the uh, way things work and are in the world. And so as we come to uh, grapple with uh, discoveries, insights, uh, and uh, uh, take take them in to work through how we understand the way the world works. We are then required to modify, to adjust. I, I'm thinking about it in terms of a series we're going to start uh, after Easter and the season of Easter, and we're going to take uh, uh, the book of Acts, and uh, at least for the eight weeks of the season of Easter, uh, up to Pentecost, and we're going to uh, talk about the way that this new reality of resurrection, that uh, now uh, the world was having to fit 
into. It, it had been purely speculative. The idea or the belief in was novel and new. Certainly there were um, aspects of that thought in a number of places, but, but now we have an account of resurrection. And that was one of the, the things that <clears throat> caught my attention that really inspired me this Easter was to read Fleming Rutledge say, rather than go through a series of uh, historical sources as to you know their veracity and uh, the, uh, uh, their culmination in an affirmation of the resurrection, she put it pretty simply, uh, had Jesus not been raised from the dead, we wouldn't know anything about him. In other words, others had been crucified. There had been other. Uh, there were others who had gone before who had uh, been figures of some sort of revolution, uh, reformation, uh, determined to be treasonous, um, evoked, provoked some sort of even uh, military action, and they all died. Uh, we know about them for the size and nature of their revolutions, but since Jesus didn't amass an army and he didn't march on either Jerusalem or Rome for that matter, uh, but instead he took a different tact, a different course, his kingdom was of a different nature, a different kind, a different and in a different register, uh, we wouldn't know anything about him if he hadn't not been raised from the dead. There wouldn't be any attention drawn to his teachings, anything uh, really recorded about his life. He'd have just been another uh, figure killed by the imperial power. So that people are still talking about it, even those who don't believe in Jesus if and, and use that parlance, and, and, and those who um, really don't have any sort of metaphysical uh, position, they're still talking about Jesus. And, and Rutledge's claim is, is that had Jesus not been raised from the dead, we wouldn't know anything about him. Therefore, we wouldn't be talking about him. It's not the best apologetic, except for the fact that uh, it, it seems to be pretty common sense-ish. It seems to be not rocket science, even if the implication of Jesus as Lord can feel like rocket science. Now, I know some of you who have been pastors a, a while will say, well, that's kind of silly. It, it doesn't really seem like rocket science. But when you start figuring into your way of life what it means that Jesus is Lord and how it impacts all the decisions that you make as a human being in the world, living with other human beings... It can be rocket science, especially when your patterns and habits have become fixed in your mind, at least. And when the way you deal with uh, issues of conflict and is issues of division uh, now are suddenly undermined by the notion of reconciliation and no division, now we have to think more carefully through things. Take a look at what's going on in South Carolina. My friend Alan Cross is down there who works for the... Uh, evangelical immigration table, and there's some nutty legislation traveling through, uh, led by conservatives, probably some of them uh, considered uh, religious, even Christian, who are really pushing legislation that would make it an offense uh, if uh, nonprofits, for instance, fed, and let's use the illustration, some Syrian refugees, and one of those refugees went on to commit a capital crime said nonprofit would be held liable. Now, surely that's nutty to you. To me, now that requires rocket science to figure that one out. That's some, that's some intellectual gymnastics to uh, uh, even posit that sort of legislation as a possibility since it hasn't happened. So now we're basing our decisions in fear, and then we run back to Jesus as Lord who said, uh, and whose life illustrates that love casts out fear. And so 
uh, Rutledge got me a little chippy. <clears throat> got me chippy because uh, I remember uh, reading, uh, beginning reading Crucified God a few years ago and by Jürgen Moltmann. And I remember uh, tweeting out a quote or, or putting up a quote on Facebook or something like that. And a denominational leader friend, um, either on, in a phone conversation or in a text, you know, in a side note said, you know, quit, quit quoting Moltmann or quit reading Moltmann. And that just really harkened back to a day and, and that I, I, I don't, I don't regret in the sense that I just didn't understand in that iteration of myself. I didn't understand the implications of what was going on, but it reminded me of uh, college where uh, I went to Oakland Baptist University and just, uh, I can't remember, a couple of years before entering in 1981, uh, a group had gotten together and they had written the heresy papers and they had targeted a number of professors. Some of them I came to know and love and while I certainly had disagreement with them, and certainly I was tainted by the suggestion that they were heretics, came to know that that they really weren't heretics. They just happened to travel in and with wrestling with Jesus as Lord in the wake of circumstances and events to which most of these young uh, early 20-somethings guys had no experience with. And and so now looking back on that experience more than 30 years ago, uh, I look at it as today a bit formative in that uh, there there's rich material out there written from the perspective of those who've had entirely different human experiences than I have. So, for instance, the uh, professor that I spent uh, a year of independent Greek study with was a chaplain in Korea. And there are things as a chaplain in Korea that he saw and experienced that I, as a uh, 21-year-old, had not and have not since this day encountered. And so some of the themes and subjects that uh, go along with a particular strain of uh, the Christian tradition is practiced and thought and widely believed. Um, And he may have held at one time were um, forever challenged. And so certainly as he's grappling with what it means to be a Christian in those experiences and what it means and what it says about human beings and about God and about our interrelatedness, it certainly led him to rethink some things. There are some ideas, some experiences that now were brought into his human experience that required a a better explanation than what is often passed off as trite and uh, pablum-like. Uh, they they're really given to us to anesthetize us to keep us from thinking. I it, it's it's my uh, personal uh, givenness to think, and so uh, in that vein, uh, I I want to suggest to pastor theologians that um, it's really important to read outside of your wheelhouse, outside of your contextual wheelhouse, even. So, for instance. Uh, if you happen to be an Anglo pastor in 2016, it would be really good to to probably pick up uh, Fleming Rutledge, especially if you hail from a tr- tradition that is very short on um, uh, <clears throat> women and their uh, influence, writing. Uh, they There are places where they cannot serve and cannot participate according to you know, denominational dogma. 
And and so in 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 the wake of that, it, it would be good to to read someone like Fleming Rutledge, who writes the crucifixion, understanding the death of Jesus Christ. Or, or maybe you need to read someone who's writing um, in in black theology or womanist theology. I'm hoping to have uh, a couple of guests on in the future if I can uh, um, enlist them to talk about, say, the subject of being colorblind. There was a meme going around. Uh, Easter meme, probably put together by some white dude who had Jesus on a cross with all lives matter. And it was as if to say that settles the whole issue uh, related to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, the problem is, is when all lives matter, you, mail, you, you, you do something about human subjectivity that is unhealthy. And so I want to have maybe uh, uh, Adam Clark on if I, can, if I can get him on. I heard him a few weeks ago talking about this very subject. And uh, we need a better understanding, we who are in a different contextual setting uh, and circumstance. Maybe you need to go read read Nakashima Brock and um, her little book, Parables of Ashes. You may come away not agreeing with a lot of that, but as a Japanese-American woman, theologian, uh, there are some things that we ought to listen to. And uh, it's really unhealthy to simply create feedback loops and read for confirmation bias. Uh, One of these days, Pastor, you're going to have an experience. Trust me, you're going to have an experience that the answer for which you have consistently given no longer makes sense. I have had that myself. and, And trust me, if you pastor long enough, especially in the same place, there will be an event encounter that you have uh, with those in your congregation where you hear yourself say a thing and then you think through what you said and you go, wow, I need to rethink that. So uh, that's really kind of what I wanted to do. So uh, not only maybe read uh, outside of what's in your contextual wheelhouse, but maybe you should entertain some commentaries that actually approach the Scripture from a different uh, vantage point. I don't mean from the vantage point of maybe another ethnicity, although I think that would be really good. I mean from a different ideology. So, for instance, now we just finished uh, Mark's Gospel. We, almost, we really technically were in it for about two years through the lectionary. We were in the Revised Common Lectionary through year B in March, and then we moved over to the Narrative Lectionary, and it so happened that we were in Mark again. Now, so we're able to approach Mark from a different angle, but all the while found a rich resource in uh, Chad Myers binding the strong man. Now, that's that's not light reading, um, and reading all the the material prior to any of the exegetical work or the historical work is really really important. I think it's really timely because we live in a day where ideolo- ideologies rule the day, and um, and another pitch for Fitch's book, uh, The End of Evangelicalism, uh, toward a Christian political theology, uh, we need to know our ideologies. And certainly what we need to know about them is that most of the time their core, we discover over time, becomes empty because we have become to emphasize all the things that get us into Twitter and uh, get us all excited. And we then behave in ways that actually deny the... Uh, assertion of the core. So <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, an aside, it's, it's not unlike what's going on uh, in uh, conservatism where um, those who are Christian 
and uh, read the Bible, they say, literally and consistently, uh, at the same time, find um, jouissance, find uh, it uh, um, themselves excited over uh, someone like Donald Trump uh, and uh, seem to completely ignore all the attendant features that actually violate what we would call uh, and, and, and find rooted in a Christian ethic. And, and so that's just an illustration, current one, of an empty ideology. So we get excited about rights. We get excited about, excited about uh, immigration and those sorts of things. And, and so we give up the core and we celebrate all the things that's, that, that um, orbit around that core. And, and as uh, Fitch, who's uh, accessing uh, Slavo Žižek, uh, illustrates that the core is indeed empty. And the uh, worst thing in the world would be for pastors, especially pastor theologians who are alert to these things, to continue to promote an empty core. And that would take us uh, really uh, through several rabbit holes. And this is really intended to give you some resources to think about. So Chad Myers would be be one of those places where you could look for a particular uh, commentary that might challenge you and maybe you've been accustomed to um, uh, those of a different sort. Uh, I like Ben Witherington's uh, uh, social commentary, social rhetorical commentary on, on Mark as well. There's another uh, way to look at what is getting done in Mark's gospel and how it's getting done and how it can uh, find connection in uh, current circumstances in, in our world. So those are the things, and I thought, well, i got to get some of that out. Um, I, I don't really want to continue to be chippy. It's uh, not really uh, norm, my normal demeanor or nature, but uh, it just stirred in me uh, some recollections of admonitions not to read here, not to read there, not to peer too deeply because you might be unduly influenced. And I say that if you're going to do this for a long haul, for, for a long time, even especially in the same place, you probably need to be prepared for new ideas. <clears throat> new ideas, remember, are only rocket science because they're new. Uh, once we take in Jesus as Lord uh, and embrace uh, that reality for ourselves and our lives, we're always facing those moments where um, we're understanding how that uh, forms and shapes us and how it ought to mark us and we ought to be identified in that way, uh, it can feel like rocket science when we're having to move in repentance to new ideas, new ways of thinking, new realities. So um, I hope that will be uh, something that will give you some pause to look around you, maybe to find some networks. I think I'm going to take David Fitch up, and I think I'm going to try maybe to find uh, 11 or 12 uh, folks who, who want to have a forum, uh, a, a group to talk about these sorts of things. If we can't find them locally, maybe we can uh, do something like that online. But I really think David's right. I really think what we need, at least in our day where we are, we really do need organic theologians, pastor theologians, those who are um, interested in the shape uh, our world takes and not only spending their time talking about the world uh, future, that is, the one to come. And uh, we need some 
material experiences in the here and the now. And we need those who are prepared to lead and think through uh, those days and those times. So I'm going to bring it to a close, and thank you for listening. And we will look forward to having a couple uh, more um, interviews in the future. I've got a young young fellow out uh, on the East Coast who is uh, just uh, defended his uh, PhD, and we're going to have uh, uh, we're going to have Bill Walker on. Uh, he sometimes writes for Missio Alliance, and uh, looking forward to in April having him on my, my interview with Tony Jones. The tech wonked out on me. So we're going to set that up again for April, and we're going to talk about the atonement, and hopefully I'll be further into Rutledge's book, and maybe we can pitch back and forth between his book and uh, Rutledge's book. And we're going to spend a good bit of our time talking about pastor theologian, that is practical theology and that sort of thing. So uh, you've got some ideas, uh, you've got some suggestions. Uh, I'm going to have my friend Trip Fuller on. We're going to talk about his Christology book, his little book that will fit in the back of your pocket, uh, Jesus, Lord, Liar, Lunatic, or Freaking Awesome. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, C.S. Lewis and, and then his Christology, uh, uh, Tripp's Christology, and and uh, should be a great conversation. There'll be more to come uh, down the line, and so uh, stay tuned. Uh, again, uh, want to thank you for uh, subscribing if you have. If you haven't, uh, subscribe in your favorite podcatcher, and uh, remember to uh, share Maybe you've got a pastor friend and you think this would be helpful. Uh, Recommend it. Share this episode and then share other episodes that uh, might help us. And we might get a collection of uh, organic theologians working together and uh, might help us shape and form uh, ideas and notions uh, for our day that would make Jesus as as Lord um, even uh, a greater reality in our neighborhoods and communities as we live out the faith. And so uh, it's been Todd Littleton uh, with Pathological, a podcast for the pastor theologian. Remember, you can find us at toddlittleton.net, pathological.net, pathological.com. You can find us as an affiliate blog over at Roundtable Media Group. Hey, check out my friend Marty Duran's podcast, The Fourth Estate. You, you need to kind of read his backstory so you can look at martyduran.com and you can get the story behind The Fourth Estate. We need a fourth estate in our country. Marty is doing some really neat things. He's got a long-form podcast, but he also has a short form. It's, he calls it Drive Time. So he... Uh, holds, takes the old iPhone and boss jock and uh, on his I-40 drive into work on his commute, oh, about 10 or 15 minutes worth of time, he goes over uh, relevant news and, um, and draws out uh, a, lot of, a lot of information in a short time that's really helpful. And uh, so I want you, to, want you to check out that podcast. Hey, if you have time, it, 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 leave a review uh, on iTunes. Uh, help us out. And uh, again, uh, thanks for listening. And so until next time, this has been Todd Littleton, Pathological, a podcast for the pastor theologian. Remember to visit our sponsors, boycotshandmade.com and lstnsound.com, and find your discounts using the code PATHEOLOGICAL. You have a good day.